0: Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm health Co I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. Welcome to episode number 24 of the Heal Thy Skin podcast. I'm Marnie, your host, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Donna Lee Marcel, founder of Dermatonics. Donna is a specialist in human biochemistry with a doctorate from the University of Ottawa. Dr. Marcel has worked in the area of inflammation and how the body reacts to foreign materials as well as macrophage biology related to atherosclerosis. Dr. Donna has been awarded several international research fellowships for her work, including an Endeavour Research Fellowship awarded to her by Julie Bishop in 2006, and upon her Sydney research visit, she investigated the human biochemistry pathways involved in inflammation using advanced proteomics, and the Australian story then begins. Her work on specific proteins and their functions on human inflammation enabled her with a Young Investigator's Award from the Human the World Human Proteonomics Organisation, and she then moved to Australia to continue her advanced work at the Australian Institute of Bioengineering and Nanotechnology, which was in Brisbane, Queensland. She was then further awarded a research fellowship from the Canadian National Science and Engineering Research Council to work in Australia on her research. Dr. Donna Lee is now the driving force of dermatonics and its advanced nutridermaceutical skincare. Donna shares how her journey into human biochemistry inspired her study into macrophages and the importance of understanding foreign body uh, materials in just everyday life. I started by asking Donna what she thought was the biggest misconception about inflammation.
1: I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that inflammation is all bad. So it's either all bad or that inflammation is always aggressive. So inflammation is also something that keeps us alive, really. And, you know, it helps defend us. So quite often inflammation might even happen within our bodies and we don't even really know what's going on or we have mild inflammation. It resolves and all is good. It's just that inflammation is uncontrolled or doesn't resolve. And that's when we start running into issues. So I think that's one of the biggest things is that sometimes inflammation is actually quite good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your career.
1: So I first started actually as a medical lab technologist. So leaving high school, I did training. So as you can probably hear from the accent, I am Canadian. Mm -hmm. So when I left high school in Canada, I did the equivalent to what's TAFE here as a medical lab technologist. Then I was in that area for a little while before I went back to university, because I just sort of was looking for something a little bit more. And I did my undergraduate in biology Mm -hmm. at my hometown in Sudbury at Laurentian University. And after that, because you had to do an honors thesis in order to do your PhD, and ironically, there's not much available in Sudbury for, for sort of medical honors thesis. So, I actually had an honors project in mining microbiology, so it was actually, interesting, very yeah, different to where you are now, Yeah, very much so. But it definitely learned, uh, I sort of taught me patience because the bacteria we were using took like months to grow. So, so it was that was that was an interesting sitting exercise. there
0: watching bacteria. Bacteria grow. Sounds like a good pastime.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So then after that, I went and did my PhD at the University of Ottawa. And PhDs in Canada take about five to six years. So that took a little bit of time. So I did that. And while I was doing my PhD, I was very fortunate that our, my PhD supervisor supported us to come to a big research conference here in Australia. So that was the first time I came to Australia. And that sort of opened my eyes to Australia. And we met some people in Australia, one of them being my now husband. <laughs> so th- that encouraged me to come back and forth to Australia I received fellowships both from the Canadian and the Australian government to come to Australia twice during my PhD to do research projects that access tools that I just didn't have in our lab. So I did a lot of proteomics while I was here during those years on those fellowships and then eventually moved to Australia. I had a choice. I had two job offers. I had a choice when I was finished my PhD to either move to Cleveland, Ohio or to Brisbane, Queensland slightly different cities. (laughs) So I chose, Absolutely. yeah, so the the lab I wanted to work with was up in Brisbane. So then I moved to Brisbane and I spent one year at the Australian Institute for Bioengineering and Nanotechnology up at University of Queensland. And I sort of switched gears a little bit because I had always been working in biomaterials and spent nine years then at the University of New South Wales in a macrophage biology lab. So what brought me to that is that my PhD was all in biomaterials and macrophage-mediated inflammation. So the common thread through all of this was always macrophages. And then all this time when I was at UNSW, in the background, we had been working on skincare and things like that. And then finally in 2018, I I formally left my research position and to build our business, which is dermatonics.
0: Wow, how amazing. What a career, what a journey. Yes. And tell us a little bit more about that moment when you decided to pursue the areas of inflammation and studying foreign body reactions specifically. So
1: at that time, so I was interviewing with different labs in Ottawa to see who I wanted to do my PhD with. And interestingly, they were all very different areas. So I met with all the, the, you know, the lab directors and some of them introduced me to their staff and and um, when I when I met and who I ended up doing my PhD with was Dr. Rosalind Labo at the University of Ottawa Heart Institute, and is just the project really interested me. I love the I love the idea of working with macrophages, and what also was a really important is was the dynamics of the lab because you're spending five to six years with these people that you needed to have a really supportive environment and really fantastic supervisor so it was a combination of everything I just love the project that she was working on and the lab dynamics were just amazing and microbiology and also immunology were two of my favorite subjects so being able to work on neutrophils and macrophages and things like that it just really hit home and, and everything about the lab just really drove me to join that lab
0: lab yeah how interesting so uh, partly being in the right place at the right time with a great team and tell us what happens within the body when a foreign particle is recognized
1: When something foreign gets implanted, one of the first things that happens, and it's very much like a wound healing response. So even if you cut yourself and a wound is starting to repair, when you implant something foreign, the first thing that happens is it gets coated with proteins. So you get this coating of proteins, which includes your coagulation proteins, and your coagulation proteins are those things that are trying to form a clot. So that's the first step. And then what happens are your white blood cells like neutrophils and macrophages respond. The neutrophils are the first. And they both secrete all kinds of chemokines and cytokines and also degradative enzymes. Now, often when a foreign body reaction is happening, the the foreign body that is entering your body, particularly in medical devices, it's much bigger than the cell. So normally what neutrophils and macrophages are designed to do is you'll see these little videos of macrophages and neutrophils eating, like actually degrading, engulfing bacteria or other particles, and they degrade it. Now, what happens with a foreign body is it's too large for these cells to degrade. So it sticks, it sort of sticks itself. Think of a suction cup. You know, it sticks itself onto the foreign body and it's doing its best to degrade it, but it can't engulf it. So it'll do this process, which is really interesting, called frustrated phagocytosis. Mm. So that's it, yeah. So it's, I always love saying that
0: name. Yeah. <laughs>
1: so these cells are trying to phagocytose this body in the normal way that it knows how to, but it can't. It's
0: frustrated. So-
1: it is. It's frustrating. It's funny. So, that, so it, they undergo these processes of releasing their enzymes and other degradative chemicals to degrade what it has stuck onto. So, it goes under that process and it becomes very inflammatory. And if that inflammation doesn't get calmed down, we then go into chronic inflammation. And macrophages, what they do is in the long term, they actually start fusing. So all these macrophages start fusing, they become these really giant cells, and they're actually called foreign body giant cells. And they do that because it only happens when a foreign body that's larger than them encounters the macrophages. And it's sort of a protective mechanism for the macrophage as well, because it makes them stronger and more powerful in order to get rid of this thing that's in the way. So that's sort of the process that happens.
0: Yeah, how interesting. And macrophages, this is an area that you have, I guess, spent a lot of your... Your study in time on. So what about the macrophages is so I mean you've explained a little bit in terms of what they do with foreign particles but would you be able to explain a little bit more about why this process kind of occurs like what the other cells that are also involved?
1: Uh yeah, but what interests me about macrophages so much is just how dynamic they are. They I mean they're just such an interesting cell. They do so many different things in the body. I mean, they defend ourselves from bacteria, they protect us from foreign body giant cells, but also they're involved. And this is another thing I studied for several years. They're part of protecting us from things like atherosclerosis. So they're the ones that transport cholesterol around our body. They remove it from our blood vessels and then they'll they'll excrete it through the liver. So they're just really dynamic cells and they're really powerful cells. Now, in terms of other cells that are involved in a foreign body reaction, you know, you'll get platelets involved as well. So platelets are those little cells that are involved in forming a blood clot. So they're involved in this process in neutrophils as well. So neutrophils are these little powerful sort of, and I've heard them described before, as pac-man cells which is quite true they are very powerful in the initial stage so they arrive first they secrete all kinds of hydrochloric acid reactive oxygen species and other enzymes and they do this sort of really quickly to try and defend themselves and protect ourselves from bacteria as well, but they don't last very long. So they're very short-lived and they die off. And that's Mm. where the macrophages come in. And macrophages survive, can survive actually for quite a long time. So they actually survive for much longer chronically to deal with the foreign body or help with inflammation.
0: Mm, How interesting. I'd like to shift gears a little. There does appear in the media to be this increased exposure relating to breast implant illness as it's Mm -hmm. referred to can you explain what breast implant illness is
1: yeah so the interesting thing is that breast implant illness still by the medical community is something that they don't even understand very well or is not very well defined. So it's often a term that's also seen in quotation marks. So they'll say, you know, breast implant illness in quotations because it's not a formal disease per se, but they do recognize that it is something that is experienced by women post implant, post breast implant implantation, but there's no definite pathophysiological explanation. But what happens with breast implant illness is in women, and it, it happens a varying time after the implants go in. You know, they experience a whole varying, very wide range of symptoms from anything just simply, I guess, fatigue, chronic pain, to the extreme where you get things like hair loss and, and hormonal imbalances and things like that. So it's something that happens after the breast implant goes in. And obviously, by the word illness, it just makes them feel very unwell. But again, there's no hypothesis regarding how silicone can cause these problems and there's no diagnostic test. So for a lot of other diseases out there, you know, you say, I feel like I feel like I have this, or you go to your doctor and they say, Well, I think you have coronary artery disease, and they do tests and you have an answer. You know, unfortunately for breast implant illness, there just aren't these definitions out there, which obviously can be very frustrating for the women that are experiencing this. Mm. And I think the reason why there's a lot more media attention is, well, first of all, in today's society, there's a lot more social media. So people talk about it a lot easier. You know, there's a lot of support groups out there, which is good. So there actually are Facebook groups and there's, there's attention on Instagram. But also in terms of the media, ever since sort of the mid-90s, there's been a lot of attention on breast implants and sort of the complications that can come from it. So they've been under a lot of scrutiny more so than any other medical device that's
0: out there. Mm, How interesting. So it's really unknown whether it's this frustrated phagocytosis from the macrophages that are involved or if it's other things.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is there's probably lots of different things that can go on for different people when a silicone implant is implanted into someone. So, for some people they just may not be coping with the implant well so for example like you said there might be an inflammatory response in some people there might be a capsule formation or some people maybe they're just they're, even if they're not there's not necessarily inflammation going on they're just not tolerating these implants well so and that's hard to define in terms of an actual disease so You know, there's, there could be, you know, some of the physical symptoms could be associated with the scar tissue that's happening inside. And also there's additional weight that's been added to their chest, you know, depending on how how large they go it's something that's completely new for their body and also some women might have a hard time defining their symptoms you know so i think there are a lot of professors out there that are working together that are working to help women in this area and help the industry so i think the problem that's happened a lot recently or ever since breast implants really became more of a popular thing is there hasn't been a clear definition of or study of what's happening with these breast implants. So for example, there hasn't been clear studies that take them from day one, say, okay, we're gonna put the breast implants in after they have the breast implants, following them up, you know, so if they start having symptoms, having a proper routine and blood tests and all these kinds of things to, to follow these women's properly. But there are some groups out there that are starting to do some studies to help define this a little bit better to see if we can link those that are having symptoms with sort of their genetic makeup. So for example, in terms of autoimmunity or an immune response, there are certain antigens that are called HLA antigens or human leukocyte antigens. So these are antigens that are completely varied in every single person. So this obviously explains why we respond differently to different allergens or why we have different autoimmune diseases, because each person will present with a different complement of HLAs. So some work that will go forward is defining, you know, taking blood tests and tissue samples from some of these people and defining if there is a particular HLA subtype or group of subtypes that make women more susceptible to these symptoms post breast implant. So those are the kind of things that need to happen moving forward to in order to better define breast implant illness.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned some of the symptoms will vary mm. between women to women. So Oh greatly. Yeah. yeah. So if someone does have breast implants, what symptoms would warrant them to actually seek medical assistance or Further investigation.
1: Yeah, well, like, so there's a whole list, and actually, there's a couple of really great papers that I found when I was doing a little bit of more research on this, and I'm happy to share them as they're free to access papers. But they vary anywhere, and here I'm reading a list just fatigue or low energy, cognitive dysfunction, so like brain fog, you know, or memory loss, Mm. headaches, joint and muscle pain, hair loss, recurring infections, swollen lymph nodes and swollen glands, rashes irritable bowel syndrome, and even hormonal problems with the thyroid and adrenals. And you can imagine by this list of symptoms i mean some of those can happen with other diseases as well so that's why it's so hard to define what's going on but if you start feeling that the key thing is and hopefully you know with people that are having these breast implants have some good follow-up is that they'll be followed up by their surgeon how are you feeling do you feel any of these symptoms so that way if they do feel these symptoms they can go start seeking you know medical assistance and then whether or not it is related to the surgery and the breast implants or something else that's where the further investigation you know comes out
0: yeah makes sense yeah and as you mentioned it's not always something that they'll experience immediately after surgery too
1: exactly i was even in doing some research there's even reports of women reporting these symptoms up to 20 years after their breast implant wow I know. So the thing is, if it's 20 years after, you know, maybe even the women themselves wouldn't necessarily be linking it to their breast implants, you know. Mm. So that's, again, where I think a lot better studies and definition will help the medical community and also women to understand what's going on and when it is related to the breast implants.
0: Yeah. And what are some of the options for someone that is experiencing these side effects or symptoms?
1: Well, I think the key thing to do or the first thing to do is if it's relatively soon after the surgery, you know, even months is get in touch with their plastic surgeon. So that would be the key thing is to go and see the person that did the surgery. Now, obviously, sometimes that can be, you know, it can take a long time to get into that specialist. And if that's the case, at least go see your physician, you know, so they can do some initial examinations. And then especially if that physician's concerned, they can accelerate that process to getting back into your surgeon. And the other key thing is and this is with anything medically really is that you know if you go to your your GP and you're just not being listened to or you think that they're just not addressing your concerns seriously enough get a second opinion, you know, so if that's the thing is sometimes, you know, you might be brushed aside, you know, it's a key to get that help. And so that even if nothing necessarily sinister is going on, so you have that that comfort that there's nothing serious going on. And if people are having issues with their physicians or their surgeons, there are some some groups out there, for example, there's the Australasian Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons, that are quite good and they're a good resource of of recommended surgeons and physicians that can help so say for example in today's day and age it's obviously very popular to go overseas to get some of these procedures done. So if that happens, they may not have the ability to follow up properly when they're back in Australia. So, or wherever else, if, if people are listening to this podcast elsewhere, but in Australia, the Australasian Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgeons would be a great place to go first. They have a good website with resources. Um, and there's also, from what I, I don't know the specific groups, but there are some really good support Facebook groups for people that have had breast implants as well. And in there, there would be a lot of, you know, emotional support and also recommendations of, you know, what people have been through and where they can go.
0: Mm, That's really Mm -hmm. good advice. And I think, you know, the key point is because it isn't considered a disease, Mm -hmm. um, these women may be experiencing some of these symptoms but feel like they're not being heard. Um, Exactly. So so sometimes it's the emotional support and and having a group of others that may be going through similar symptoms that can make them feel less isolated. Yes. So what about other types of implants? So is there a risk with implants used for reconstructive or aesthetic procedures?
1: Oh, exactly. Definitely. And I think that's also the key thing about breast implants is that sometimes people forget that breast implants are a medical device. So they are a medical device um, and like a lot of other medical devices, they might need replacing mm. years down the road. So it's very key to remember that, that although a lot of times it's a cosmetic procedure, it is a very serious medical procedure as well that is implanting a medical device. But there are several other types of implants that, that come with the same kind of risks as just that breast implants have kind of gotten a lot of you know, media attention. But things like heart valves, dents, you know, when people get artificial hip implants and they get knee inserts. There's all kinds of different implants that happen all the time. And they also come with similar risks. Now, they'll all, some of those will be made with different types of materials. Hip, hip implants are quite often very heavily titanium. And then different implants that go into the heart, like heart valves, are often a very various type of polyurethanes. But what's really great is that a lot of research has gone into, and this is a bit of my background, a lot of the research has gone into developing different polyurethanes or different materials that will dampen the response by the body, that will sort of mask the response by, by the body. And those things can happen by even just very slightly changing the chemistry of the material, but also modifying the surface. So material synthesis is going on where the surface is being modified, where it will protect the material from the white blood cells it'll sort of dampen the response and also dampen any kind of a negative response and sort of capsule formation or anything that might initiate potentially cancerous type cells you know so definitely there is definitely a risk with any implant that you put in for either reconstructive or aesthetic procedures but you know a lot of research tends to go behind these to minimize that response as much as possible.
0: Mm, How interesting and I'm sure with medical advancements and technology that's going to change as well. Mm, It's ever-changing, yeah. And as well as synthetic materials, some implants or transplants are sourced from animals, coral, even self-human tissue. So Mm -hmm. do the same risks apply with these types of materials?
1: Yes, similar risks apply. And sometimes some risks are greater or less. So for example human tissue, I mean, depending, I mean, that's where a lot of donor and recipient matching happens, but it's a lot more similar to our body. And quite often what happens with either animal or human tissue is it's not as simple as taking, you know, a pig valve and placing it directly into a human. There's a lot of processing that happens. So quite often those materials will get decellularized. So a lot of the uh, proteins or cells that will cause a reaction in a human will actually be removed. So It's more that you're implanting a bit of a scaffold, so you'll have a material, even though it's a human or animal tissue, we call it a material that gets implanted, but it acts as a scaffold that your own cells can then infiltrate and regenerate. But yes, there certainly are risks that can be associated with human and animal tissue implantation as well. And it's sort of more of like the graft versus host disease kind of risk as opposed to a complete foreign body response because the tissue sort of, it's instead of it being a synthesized chemical, it's a tissue that has you know foreign particles that may not be that the human body might not recognize and reject
0: yes absolutely Mm -hmm. makes sense exactly so the majority of people will not necessarily receive traditional implants or transplants Mm -hmm. in their lifetime so for the average person is foreign particles something that we need to consider in our day-to-day lives
1: Mm, we'll still experience it in a a bit of a different way so you know pollution you know pollution is is a key example you know we were just talking earlier about the increased pollen levels in the air and everybody sneezing lately you know so that's something as simple as that as you know pollen and certain allergens that are floating around the air are foreign to the body you know so that the body does its best to try and rid itself or protect the body of it so the nose is pretty good at filtering out a lot of particles but once they get to a certain super small size they actually can travel all the way into the lungs and cause an inflammatory response. Now in some, that response might be different. And that's why, you know, obviously some people have allergies to certain things and some people don't. And it's just that those sensitivities or there's markers that are on their cell that will make them respond to those differently. And everybody will have a bit of a different response as well. Some people may just simply sneeze. Other people, you know, may have more of a chronic response and even have a foreign body response in their lungs as well. If it's, if it's a big enough response to that, foreign particle that their body responds to. So, I mean, you may have even heard of people when there's, I think in Melbourne a couple of years ago, there was a big thunderstorm and, you know, it just sort of brings up all these pollens and and allergens suddenly, and people actually die because of it, because they have such a severe response to those particles. And it's an overload on their system. And unfortunately it causes death. So yes, even something as simple as pollution or allergens that are around or even things like microparticles that end up in our system you know microparticles and microplastics are a very big thing these days so if those somehow get ingested by us those will be seen as the body as a foreign uh, those will be seen as a foreign body and create a reaction now, something that's quite small can usually be, get, be gotten rid of by the body a lot easier because they can, the macrophages can degrade it and get rid of it. However, it still causes that inflammation in the body. So it's a bit different than implanting a whole entire medical device, but it still obviously causes inflammation and damage in the body.
0: Uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Yep. And I guess if you are constantly being exposed to that foreign um, particle mm-hmm. like eating fish with microplastics or having yes. pollen then over time yeah. that could develop into some yeah. kind of chronic inflammation too yeah
1: and that's actually a really good example of that is these days you know with the microplastics being such a big because again because of the awareness in the media depending on where fish are grown or grown or where they're harvested from it's true you know you see it's becoming a much bigger issue and some of them are so small we don't see them we don't realize and yeah we're ingesting that
0: mm, that's right yeah And just from your background, what would be some advice from you as a doctor in biochemistry to our listeners?
1: Oh, I guess one thing is, is that in terms of biochemistry, like the body is very complex and there's just so many different pathways going on in the cell. And in terms of something like breast implants, we're playing around with a foreign body in our body. That's meant to be good functioning, ticking well with all these different pathways going on. So we're really messing with a lot of processes that are happening normally in our body. So I guess we have to respect that a little bit so that when we're having any kind of surgery really, or any kind of implant, that is really wreaking havoc on the normal processes of our body that are very complex and happen at a very quick rate. So so that's one thing is that, you know, all the different biochemical pathways that are going in our body, it's unbelievable how many pathways are happening at any one given moment. So it's just amazing how complex the body is. The other thing that's kind of related to that is that the body does work very hard to keep itself in balance. So, you know, all these processes are happening in our body at any given time. And So quite often, we may not see symptoms that we feel or see until something's very wrong, you know, so it's quite important to sort of, I guess, listen to your body, you know, and if something's not right to get attention, because our body will do quite a good job to try and keep ourselves in check until it just kind of all falls apart sometimes. Mm. So that's another point as well is that and I guess that's a key thing about biochemistry
0: is it's just there's there's a lot going on.
1: (laughs) and, And it's a lot to learn too
0: yeah and it's not something we can always say as you as you mentioned no and that's the, that's the
1: thing is there's yeah and I guess the cool thing is is that when, when i have been doing because I've sort of i was sorry sort of always at the cell biology end of biochemistry so I did a lot of microscopy where you're imaging cells and you know putting fluorescent tags on different proteins and watching them move around cells it's just amazing watching all these little proteins and things go going on in cells and how they meet up with other proteins and move around and it, it it's, it's kind
0: of cool really <laughs> yeah i can imagine it's like watching a different world it is yeah how amazing and donna uh you've been kind enough to share some of those resources or research papers that you're mentioning mm-hmm. about breast yes. cancer illness so we'll make sure that those are linked in the show notes as well but where yep. can people find more about you and the work that you're doing
1: Okay so there's the our main website that people can find out a little bit more about us is our dermatonics website which is dermatonics.com.au our parent overriding company is Centrica which is S E N T R Y C A so that website as well centrica.com.au you can find out a little bit more what we're doing and that'll have a little bit more background about us our team in terms of research and all the different brands that are underneath that umbrella. Also, our Instagram feed is a good place to find out different things that we're up to as well. So our Instagram feed is
0: dermatonics_skincare underscore skincare. Amazing. And for those that would like to learn a bit more about dermatonics, what is, I guess, the governing kind of moral or, or, or reason behind the formation and the formulations at dermatonics?
1: the reason why we started dermatonics is of course we wanted we were looking at developing a skincare range that was free from the harsh chemicals packed with natural actives but not just containing natural actives had a lot of natural actives that worked together in synergy because as i had sort of mentioned before the biochemistry of the body is very complex so you kind of need multiple things working on inflammation or looking working on pigmentation that work together. And everybody responds a bit differently to different ingredients. So we wanted to pack our products with all those different things. And we're also very big, obviously, on dealing with inflammation. So although we might be having a product that has lots of antioxidants and anti-aging ingredients, inflammation is always very important. So inflammation and repairing the skin barrier. So we have a lot in there that deal with help you deal with inflammation which is behind the root of a lot of a lot of issues as well and also we have a a unique ingredient that's sort of the backbone of a lot of what we do which is javanese turmeric which is a very unique type of turmeric that is very potent in terms of inflammation and being an antioxidant ingredient so being passionate about inflammation this is really behind a lot of what we do as well Yes, we're very keen on being gentle with the skin, providing lots of natural actives, helping repair the skin barrier, and dealing with inflammation
0: as well. Amazing, I love yeah. that. Well, thank you, Donna, for being a guest on today's show. It was great to have you. Thank you. And no, thank you for inviting me. This is great. Thank you. Okay. Wow, what a great interview. I absolutely love speaking to Donna. First of all, a woman in science. How cool is that? I mean, totally fangirling. Um, Donna's done so much in her career and has received so many awards for the work that she's done. So, really, uh, just so grateful for her to come on the show. Second of all, and these aren't even the deeper than skin insights. I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. But second of all, I found out my new favorite word. Can you guess what it is? Frustrated phagocytosis. Try saying that 10 times. I love it. Um, now, the three deeper than skin insights that stood out to me were this concept that breast implant illness is not recognized. So it's not a really recognized disease. Um and despite us hearing a lot about it in the media, it's not something that's really put into textbooks yet. And it may be, but I guess it's really not understood. Number two, these symptoms, not just with breast implants, but any kinds of implants can actually be many, many years later. Sometimes, you know, 20, 30 years later. So it's not necessarily always attributed to back to the actual implant and it may not actually be the cause, but uh, it's just a very gray area. And I think we hear a lot about breast implant illness, but what about all the other implants? And I think because breast implants are so common, this is why we hear about it more in the media, but it's also important to consider that other types of implants may elicit some of these symptoms as well. Uh, So Donna has been able to provide some um ideas and also some research papers in the show notes if you'd like to learn more about um what may be happening in some of these reactions as well as some support groups and and also some ideas of who to ask or who to speak about if you are experiencing some of these symptoms and number three think about other things in our life uh that may elicit a foreign body response so for example foreign body materials when we have hay fever so we are exposed to some of these in very small amounts in different areas of our life at different times of our life Uh, and it's important that we do consider how some of these foreign body particles can actually have a, a direct affect either on our respiratory health or on just our general health and well-being and I guess this is the case with certain building materials that are now not allowed in to be used Uh, so really interesting interview I hope you got out of it Um, as much as I did I'd love to hear what your three three deeper than skin insights were. So make sure you either send them to us in an email, which is info at dermhealth.co, or simply just put it in a story or one of your Instagram or Facebook posts and make sure to tag us at dermhealth.co. Thank you for sharing your earbuds with me for another episode of the Heal Thy Skin podcast hosted by Derm Health Co. I'll see you again next week. if you know someone experiencing a skin conditional concern and you're enjoying these episodes then be sure to share the podcast with them it may help them on their skin health journey more than you realize